Your Partner in Success Radio is a free business podcast with host Denise Griffiths. It's all about great stories, conversation, and context to help you move your business and life forward with actionable tips and advice from her guest experts. To listen and subscribe, just find us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you consume your podcasts. Welcome to your Partner in Success Radio. I'm your host, Denise Griffiths, and today I'm really excited. I get to chat with Karen Tiber Leland about why we need to make the time for marketing. We all know we need to do it. We all know it has to be done. Many of us don't know how to do it, and we're going to talk about many tips and tricks that she's got advice. So Karen is the president of Sterling Marketing Group, which is a boutique branding and marketing firm working on personal business and CEO branding. Her clients include LinkedIn, Google, American Express, and Marriott, among many others. She's also the best-selling author of 10 traditionally published books, which have sold more than 450,000 copies, including the brand mapping strategy, design, build, and accelerate your brand. And her latest is called No-Nonsense Time Management, 50 Tips to Hack Your Time and Get Everything Done. I must read that. Karen also writes for Inc.com, Forbes.com, Entrepreneur, and has spoken at Harvard, Stanford, and TEDx. She's also a frequent guest of the media and has been interviewed by CNN, Fortune, CNBC, Fast Company, Fox, and Oprah. Now, she is joining me today to share a whole list of things um, and I almost don't want to even cut into her time to read those to you. So we're going to weave them into the conversations. But one of them, which is really fascinating to me, is six specific scientifically proven practices for productivity in a di- digital age. So, Karen, welcome to your partner in Success Radio. It's good to have you here. Thank you, Denise. I'm so honored to be here. I always enjoy doing podcasts and radio you know, shows. I- And we were talking about that in my virtual green room. Listen, I've been doing this for 13 years, and I will tell you, honestly, I get to meet from my, you know, my little office in my home in southwest Louisiana. I get to meet people like you. I would never meet you in the Walmart, right? I mean, I would just never come across you, and you wouldn't come across me. But because of this podcast, I get to meet incredibly gifted people who come in on the show to share their wisdom. So... Again, I'm really glad to have you here. So before I get to rocking and rolling, is there anything that I left off or missed that you need the audience to know about you? No, you did a fantastic job. Thank you. (laughs) That was a great intro. My pleasure. Okay, so let's talk your, your most current book. That one, I have got to read it. Tip fifty tips to hack your time and get everything done. Oh my gosh. I read that and went how the title of the book the title of the book is No Nonsense Time Management, Fifty Tips to Hack Your Time and Get Everything Done. Oh, did I get it wrong? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I read it. Well that's the subtitle. The main title is No Nonsense Time Management. And we all need that. Listen, we're all pushed for time. And I think a lot of us I'm guilty of this, so I'm just going to out myself right now. I spend way too much time just poking around and doing stuff I shouldn't be doing, and I know I shouldn't be doing it, but, you know, my little brain goes, "Mm, let's go off in this direction, and it shouldn't, and I don't. (laughs) 
I don't get as much done as I want. So let's talk about that because, I mean, if you've got 50 tips, share your best. Well, you know, it's really interesting what you were just saying because, and I just did a video on this, but what I call that is there's every, a lot of people have what I call the magical thinking of their to-do list. So you write everything down that you think you're going to get done in a day. And then, of course, you don't get it done in the day. You get some of it done, but not all of it. And then people feel bad or they feel frustrated or they wonder, how come I can't get everything done on my to-do list? And what happens, I had a client call me the other day, very successful CEO, very effective, and she was sort of bemoaning to me that she doesn't get everything done on her to-do list and she's not as productive as she used to be. And, and, and there's a couple of things I said about that. And one is that we do have this magical thinking about our to-do list. And the reality is that we all write down far too much on our to-do list to get done than we can actually get done in a day. And the problem is then when you feel bad at the end of the day, it further hinders your ability to actually have the momentum and the focus to get things done. So what I tell people is you can write down as many things as you want, but you take a pen or a marker or if you're doing it electronically, you find a way to designate it, and you mark the two or three at the most items that you absolutely have to and are committed to getting done that day. And then as long as those get, and you manage yourself to those getting done, and as long as those get done, then everything else above that is gravy. And when I've given that process to people, that technique to people, one of the things they've told me is that they not only feel better at the end of the day, they have more energy because they don't feel so dragged down by all the stuff they didn't do. They feel better about themselves. And as a result, they are building momentum towards their own productivity. So that's the, I think one of the big problems we have in the world today is this magical thinking of the to-do list. Listen, I agree with you on the two or three things. I mean, I finally figured that out the hard way. I mean, I don't (laughs) sleep much anyway, but I really wasn't sleeping because I would wake myself up and go, oh man, and off the, you know, across the house I would run and it would just drive me nuts. But what I did find and, you know, because I'm a list maker, I've been doing it since I was a kid. You got to see them. They're beautiful. They're color-coded. They've got tabs. <laughs> on, you know. They're also a pain in the fanny because I get really entrenched in them. But what I have found is once I choose that one, two, or three things that must be done today without fail, if I will go ahead and write underneath them my bullet points so I know where I need to go. Do I need to be in GoDaddy? Do I need to work on this website? What has to happen? And that way I can check those things off underneath that category and feel like I'm getting something done. Does that make sense? You know, it's funny because it not only makes sense, it's one of the 50 tips in the book. I call those mini tasks. Right. So here's what happens, right? You have this project or something you want to do. And even, by the way, the thing that looks the simplest to do has multiple indented steps to it. I'm going to give you a really simple example for me, right? Like I, I, I really like to, especially during COVID, I've really made a point of working out so that I didn't just sit around and gain the COVID-20, as people call it. <laughs> you know, those 20 pounds were sitting around. Yeah. So I really made a, really an effort to work out. So we have a Peloton bike in the building I live in, in the gym. And so, but in order to go do the, I was only giving myself like 20 minutes of a ride in the Peloton bike. So I'd schedule it, but I kept like missing it or being late. And I realized it's because it has these mini tasks to it. You have to change into the clothes. You have to put on the shoes. I have to get in the elevator. I have to go up to the gym. I have to get on the bike. I have to log into the bike. I have to do the workout. Then I have to log out. Then I have to go back downstairs, and I have to change my clothes. 
So that one thing that looked like one thing is really 10 steps. And that's exactly. just sitting on the Peloton bike and riding, right? Let alone any kind of a business project. And so I think what happens is people often write the big project down or they wait, even worse, they wait until they finish the big project, which can take hours, days, weeks, months, sometimes even years. They wait till the big project is finished before they give themselves any sense of accomplishment. Whereas if you break it down into the smaller steps like you do, the mini tasks, then what happens is every mini task you do, you give yourself a check, whether it's a physical check or a mental check. You're like, great, did that, great, did that, great, did that. And what happens, again, is you start to build the momentum towards that thing happening. And so I think mini tasks are one of the most magical things there are in terms of getting things done and getting things done effectively and productively. That makes me feel so much better because I have to do it that way. <laughs> if I don't, and it's not just me being inveterate, you know, list maker, which I am, and you know, I'm trying to recover from it. I never will. So never mind. I'm not trying to recover from it. I like making lists. No, I'm, lists. I'm your fellow but, list maker. I'm, I'm so trust me, I'm with you. There you go. <laughs> but what I find, because I'm a techie person, I build websites, I do social media marketing for clients, and you said something that that triggered this thought for me when I am. You know, putting out those many things, those bullet points, I can immediately identify who do I send this to? Should I be doing this? No, mm-hmm. this needs to go to this person on my team. So it it's actually also a, a clearing factor. You know, once I've got all those bullet points on there, I can tell what I need to be, what I need to follow up with, and what my team should be doing, which simplifies it. Absolutely. And I think the other thing about about breaking it down into those mini tasks is it keeps you from being overwhelmed. Like a lot of why people procrastinate, and this is proven by the research, a lot of why people procrastinate is because they look at an item and they're so overwhelmed by it, they just can't even get started. Whereas if you break it down into these smaller tasks, you can you can take away that feeling of overwhelm and just get the easiest, lowest hanging fruit done and that starts to grow. And like you said, some of that low-hanging fruit gets delegated to other people. Some of that low-hanging fruit takes five minutes to do. But if you, it, whenever I feel overwhelmed by an item, what I do is I break it down into as small of a piece as I need to to not feel overwhelmed by it anymore. And that's the secret. And that's the secret. Is this something that you do each morning, or do you do it in the evening before you're going to start your next day? I find I that like I do it in do the morning. Thing. I like I like really? to do it the evening before, and then I review it in the morning. Oh, that makes sense. I find, and I've tried to do that in the evening, but by the time I close everything down in this office and I stumble across my pets to get to my couch and faint, I'm tired. My brain just says, mm, read a book. I don't turn the TV on. Yeah. I hate TV, but you know, I've got to decompress, so... I'm going to try it again, though. Maybe I'm adult enough now that might work for me. We'll see. I'll let you know. Well, I don't really think it makes a difference whether you do it in the morning or the evening. I think some people tend to be more morning-oriented and some people tend to be more evening-oriented. I think what makes the difference is just that you do it. And, and right. for example, I'll do, it, I'll do it in the moment. So if I have a project I know, like I'm working on developing a new, um, a new logo, for a a project I'm doing. And I found that I was sort of avoiding it and procrastinating. And I thought, oh, it's because I haven't broken it down. So I thought, all right, if I'm going to, so sometimes I'll do it in the moment. I'll think, what's the smallest, easiest, tiniest thing I could do now that feels confrontable? 
and then I'll do that. So I also use that technique in the moment. That makes sense because sometimes, you know, listen, inspiration is going to strike whenever it's going to strike. You can't schedule it. Although I will say most of my inspiration strikes in the shower. I mean, I get absolutely brilliant in the shower. And I have had to figure out to keep those moments of brilliance that I have to have bathtub crayons with me so I can scribble all over the shower and not forget any of it. But, or those waterproof, they make waterproof recorders now because so many people get out of the Oh, I, I hadn't even thought about that. But I kind of like, you know, scribbling on the wall. The crayons. Yeah, it's, I'll have to look into that because sometimes, you know, I don't have crayons handy or the, you know, I've, I've put it somewhere where I can't find it again. You know how that works. So basically, <laughs> so so what we're talking about here is, you know, sit down night, day, whenever, when you know, whenever your inspiration strikes or you you need to have something really going for the day, sit down, write it down, break it down, delegate, and then go about your business. Does that sound about right? Yeah, that does. And you can't delegate everything, obviously, but you delegate the stuff you can, but you make sure that the items that are left are things that feel, I can't think of another word other than confrontable to you. There are things that when you look at them, your head doesn't spin and your eyes don't roll back in your head. Exactly. And, you know, you're going to have to factor in the fact, you know, that when you are delegating, you still have to follow up with your team or whoever is working on this. Exactly. So that needs to be factored into the time that you're thinking, okay, this is going to take me an hour. And six hours later, you're going, what the heck? You didn't factor in all the little pieces in, you know, your follow up. So there is that. So I love the two to three things a day. I mean, I will probably do more because something will pop in and I'll have to take care of it. But you're right. If you can break it into two, no more than three very specific things that you need to work on, you won't go to bed and go, and cry yourself to sleep. Yeah, that was awful. Exactly. It's bad to cry yourself to sleep over your to-do list. (laughs) It's insane is what it is. So one of the the topics that I wanted to ask you about, too, is that you have a simple, what you call a foolproof technique for increasing focus thresholds. What does that mean? I can't wait to hear about this. So what happens is because we live in a world where everything's so distracted, you know, I was, I was uh, about a, before the pandemic, about a year ago, I was at um, Union Station in Washington, D.C., about to get on a train back to New York where I live, and there was a guy standing in front of me, and he had he had a, a iPhone in one hand, and he had another, like, PDA in another hand. And he was looking at them and working them both at the same time. <laughs> and I was like, and I took a picture of it, cause, not of him, because I said, if I don't take a picture of your face, can I take a picture of you holding both of these? He said, yes. And I said, how do you do that? Because well, I just go back and forth between the two of them. So, you know, and I thought that was the perfect example of how distracted we are. We live in a very distracted society. People are on the computer while they're looking at their phone, while they're surfing the net, while they've got the TV playing news on in the background. You know, there's just a lot going on. And so all of that distraction really has reduced our focus. And what we know from research is that if you and I are working on something, if you're working on something, right, and you start multitasking, in other words, you get distracted and you go to something else, one, it takes you an average of 20 minutes to get back to the thing you were working on. And then two, they've actually measured it, and people's IQ goes down when they're multitasking. 
So our ability to do what we're doing efficiently and effectively is not very good. So we have a whole focus crisis in the world we live in today. And so one of the things is you have to develop what I call your focus tolerance, which means your ability to focus on a single thing for longer and longer periods of time because it takes time to get into that state of, of really intense and deep focus that we need to produce the highest results in our, some of our most important projects. It's just like sleep, right? You don't go into deep sleep like that. There's a period where you move into deep sleep, you have a period of deep sleep, and then there's a period where you move out of the sleep. And it's the exact same thing with focus. You move into deep focus, you have a period of deep focus, you move out of focus. And so training yourself to have that kind of focus tolerance is really, really critical. So the first thing that I tell people to do is to get a timer, and you can get timers on your PDA very, very easily, right? There's even like apps for this. Um, you get a timer, and you set it for, depending on how good your focus is right now, you set it for maybe 10 or 15 minutes. And then until that timer goes off, you don't answer another call, you don't look at your internet, you turn all the dings off, you just pick something to focus on for that 15 minutes, and all you do is work on that thing for 15 minutes. And then when the timer goes off, you're free. Now, I have had people who have a low focus threshold tell me that that 15 minutes seems like a day and a half because <laughs> they're not used to focusing. So, And then the goal is to be able to build it up to an hour where you can sit down and actually take a good hour and get into deep focus. You know, that is absolutely true. And I have pretty good focus, largely because, you know, I'm a techie. I'm a nerd in stilettos. And I keep my house very, very quiet. I live alone, so I can get by with that. But yesterday, I was I was focusing on a website, and I realized that something was just bothering me. It, you know, just one of those it itches type of things. Of what the heck is that noise? It was my ceiling fan. That's how quiet it is in here. Wow. It was bugging the heck out of me. So I had to close that off, which is not good for me because I need air. But I also had to get up and move around. And I wanted to ask you this. Do you find that if people are, once they're in that zone, whether it's 15 minutes or 45 minutes, I'm good for about 45 because what I do is so techy. After a while, my eyes glaze over and my brain stops functioning. But I find that I know what's happening because I'm, I catch myself doing what I call shallow breathing. And when I catch that, it's like, okay, get up and move around now. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, another thing that they found, like, for example, I'll often do calls, um, not calls like this because it has to be quiet, but calls with clients. I'll often do that while I'm taking a walk through the park or because, yes, definitely getting up and moving, physical movement has definitely shown and been proven to help, you know, to help not only with focus but getting things, you know, just just the, the energy levels. So I think, you know, just sitting all day long is not the best thing for our productivity. So I always tell people, you know, you shouldn't multitask, but you can multipurpose. So I'll often have calls when I'm on the Peloton bike. I'll have calls while I'm walking around Central Park. I'll have calls just sometimes pacing in my apartment if I haven't been up enough. I think getting the, and incorporating the physical into it is, is really important. And one of the big breakdowns with, with all the Zoom culture we live in is you have a lot of people just sitting at their desk staring at a computer screen all day long, eight, nine, ten hours a day. It's not particularly good for our productivity to do that, let alone our health. Our health is a whole other subject. 
Oh, no kidding. It's it's bad for your body. Get up and move. So I totally agree with you. I think getting up and moving, and, and again, I call that multi-purposing rather than multitasking because you're not switching between tasks. You're just combining two tasks that you happen, it happens to be okay to combine. Exactly. And by okay, I mean it's, okay, not, it's not detrimental to combine them. Right, and that makes perfect sense. I was commenting yesterday on Facebook. We're talking, you know, you're talking about Zoom, and honestly, people, you, I could tell. I was watching, you know, this panel of, of faces, and most of them, I'm going to say, 98% of them were just zoned out. It was, it was sad. And all I could think was, okay, guy, I wanted to say it, but I didn't say it. But all right, everybody stand up, go open your refrigerator door and do what I call open refrigerator exactly. door syndrome. You open that door, exactly. your mind goes blank. It's a meditation. Do it for a few minutes. Go back to work. You're fine. Just get up and move. Yeah, and it's a problem. I mean, it is really a big problem. You know, it because is. people don't realize how much it impacts their productivity. And it does. And it does. Well, and not only that, but, you know, once your brain has kind of zoned out and you're feeling foggy and you're shallow breathing, you realize that your back hurts or your hip hurts because you've been sitting very stiffly for a while, your creativity just took off and went out with the dog. I mean, your creativity is gone. So don't even try to no get doubt. it. No doubt. Go outside with the dog and get it back. Call it. You say, hey, I'm yeah, here. Yeah. Come and, and again, and it's, and the, it's the thing I do worry about. And one of the things I'm concerned about with regards to people's productivity and their, their just mental well-being is too much time sitting in front of the Zoom. And I think people have gotten used to that. And at least when people were in a workspace, they would get up. They would go get a coffee. They would go to a meeting. They would sit down. So we have to find a way to integrate that into the way that we, we work. Do you think, and I know you've got some ideas, you must have, um, do you think that maybe just scheduling in breaks, you know, some of these things are going to be going on for longer than, let's say, 30 minutes, that everybody gets up and takes a break for 15? Oh, without a doubt. I think taking a break, but I also think besides taking a break, I've been telling clients, you should not be scheduling back-to-back Zoom calls. You have to give yourself at least 15 minutes in between Zoom calls so that you have a break, you can get up, you can stretch, you can walk around, as opposed to the rolling Zoom call, which I think is really bad for people's productivity. Oh, I agree. I haven't done too many of them, but I did have one day where I did two back-to-back. I was exhausted. I mean, I was cranky at the end of it. It's like, why don't people just say what they have to say and go away? I mean, I didn't get much out of it because I was so irritated. Absolutely. And and I think it's having a big impact on people, which is why I'm saying don't just go Zoom call, Zoom call, Zoom call. you got to give yourself 15 minutes in between. Exactly. Okay, so you've got, and this, I can't wait to hear this, one daily ritual for accomplishing more in less time with a stronger sense of closure. I think we might have tapped a little bit onto that, but let's go deeper into it. Yeah, it's really what I was saying at the beginning about picking those things. But the, the other thing that I think really works in terms of a daily ritual is what what we call time blocking, which is if there's something you really need to get done, you know, take your on your calendar, either physically or electronically, however, you, some people still use paper calendars, you know, whatever works for you. I know more and more people, by the way, that are going back to paper calendars as well. I find that I find that interesting. So, um, but, you know, it's like 
time blocking, taking off a period of time, even if it's just 15 minutes, to say, all right, this item is really important and I, I will feel good about myself if I get this done today, and time blocking. Because then you can at least say, yeah, I worked on that today. You know, I got that, I done, got today. that done today. And, right. And that sense of accomplishment and feeling, I mean, I can't emphasize enough, enough, how much that sense of accomplishment and feeling when people have that gives them a momentum to move forward and get other things done. You, it, it's interesting you talked about paper calendars. I have gone a step further going backwards. I use index cards. And I'll oh put my, my three. <laughs> I'll get, I get the big index card. Wow. wow. And, and I'll write out my three. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you why. There are millennials <laughs> listening to this that are going, what's uh, an index no. card? Go to Dollar Tree. They'll point you in the right direction. <laughs> but, and I even have colored index cards, which I find I don't use as much. Oh, but my I will. God. <laughs> and I'm a, I'm a nerd. I have a computer science degree. I love my index I love cards. It. But here's it. the thing. I will identify my one, two, and three. Then I will go ahead and I'll put, yeah. you know, my yeah. bullet points on there. And I can carry them around with me. I can cross them off. And at the end of it, when I've crossed everything off, I get to shred it. Talk about closure. So right, that right. that shredding ceremony is like the highlight of my day. The shredding <laughs> ceremony. Well, yeah. and, and here's what you're pointing out. You're pointing out something that is so important, which is the power of completion. And completion isn't necessarily everything being done. It's knowing where you're at with things. And the problem is, is that we also live, if we live in a world of non-focus, we live in a compromised focus or shallow focus, we also live in a world of incompletion. And I was just talking about this the other day because somebody asked me what I thought the biggest time management issue was. And I said, besides shallow focus, it's, it's the incompletions we cause for ourselves, but even more than that, the incompletions we cause for other people. Because what happens is people are, have gotten out of the habit of closing the loop. They act like they don't have to close the loop anymore. So what happens is for ourselves, the way we create incompletion is we have all these things that are in random states of doneness, and we don't really track them or keep, or keep track of them or know where we're at with them. So they're just this jumble of things floating around in our head that wake us up at four in the morning and we, you know, we fretting and going, oh, my God, what, did that get done? Where am I at? Oh, I forgot to do that because we don't have a way to capture these things very well. So that's how, that's how we create incompletion for ourselves. But the right. way we can play to create incompletion for other people is that we don't do what we said we would do. We don't do what we said we would do by the time we said we would do it. And we don't get back to people to close the loop. I'll give you a super simple example that, I, I, that happens to me every day, and I hear about it from clients every day. You know, you write someone a proposal, you take the time to talk to them, you take the time to write them a proposal, and you say to the person, the only thing I request is just get back to me one way or the other. Even if it's no, it's no problem, just send me an email. And then they don't do that. So now in, in your mental space, right, in your mental energy is, huh, I wonder what happened with that person. Did they ever get the proposal? Did they have any questions? Did they just decide they didn't want to do it? So it creates an incompletion for you. And so I think one of the problems is, is that we really have this situation where people are not closing loops. And that, that creates more of that sense of incompletion than almost anything. And what a sense of completion is, is when you go check, when you rip the cards up. And the check might be, oh, great, the person got the proposal, they're not interested. But at least you know where you're at with it, right? Check, done, move on. So I think that whole issue 
is really an important thing for people to take on, is not to create it for yourself, but stop creating those mental incompletions for other people. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I'll be honest with you, I don't understand why people can't say, hey, it was a great proposal. This is not for me right now, but thank you so much for your time and I would like to stay in touch. It's a common, courteous way to behave. I'm always astonished when people who I think should know better don't do this. Use some I know. It is it is amazing. Well, you know how I get around that is I will actually send them an email and say, Have I hey, I haven't heard from you, so I'm guessing that probably uh, you know, you don't have any questions or it's not a good time and I'm here if you ever need me. And then often I will hear back from people and they will say, Oh yeah, sorry, I meant to get back to you and we decided to go in another direction or something came up, I'll call you in a few months. Whatever, it's fine. But I often have to prompt them to get that. It's not that they're bad people. It's just that we're you, we've gotten used to this idea that we don't have to close the loop. And I think people don't see how actually destructive it is to their own productivity, but also to other people's productivity to not close the loops. And there's a couple of ways we don't close loops. We don't close them by, we don't, we don't close loops by not giving people sort of the final feedback on things. We don't close, we avoid closing loops by not getting back to people at all. We avoid closing loops by not getting back to people on time when we said we would. And we avoid closing loops or we create open loops and keep loops from closing when we don't do what we said we were going to do. I mean, this stuff is not rocket science, right? But it, but it has a huge negative impact when people don't do it. And here's the thing. It doesn't take you any time or really any money to just say, hey, thank you, but it's not for me. I mean, I'm, I will always try to do that because it, I don't want people doing that to me. And I'll be honest with you, no is not a problem for me as far as I'm concerned. No. It's a no, complete of course not. not a problem for anybody. Yeah. You know, the other thing is that people, um, people don't recognize that if they would just, the other thing is, you know, it's about doing what you said you were going to do. If you can't, it's fine, but then you let the person know, hey, I know I said I'd get this report to you on Tuesday by 5, um, but I'm sorry I can't do that. I'm going to get it to you Wednesday at 4. Most people are fine with that. It's when you don't hear anything that it creates, again, that sense of incompletion or that, or that problem. And, you know, as, as you know, my, I work as a branding and marketing strategist and um, and one of the things that I tell people is the best way to ruin your brand is continually don't do what it is you said you were going to do. No kidding. That's how you ruin yeah. your brand. Absolutely. And, you know, it may not show up on reviews online, but people talk. I mean, that's what reviews are all about. You know, the word of mouth is your best. That's your best referral sometimes. And if people say, oh, you know, he's a great dentist, but I just didn't like the way they pressured me into getting, you know, procedures done that I really didn't want done. You get enough of that walking around, you're in trouble. Oh, you are in trouble. Or in your own organization. If you get known in your organization as someone that's unreliable. Exactly. Okay, so, and you just mentioned, you know, Branding. Let's talk about branding because I think a lot of people don't really understand understand what business branding is, what social branding is, what your personal branding is. Can you kind of break those out for us? Yeah. So you know the thing is is that when you look at, I mean, I do a lot with people on CEO and personal branding, but I also do a lot of business branding. And and here's the thing: 
business branding and personal branding, it's not that they're, they're not the same thing, but they're not all that different. Really what they are is they're leveraging the assets that you have that are either your business or your personal assets. And they're also telling that story in a narrative way that's truthful and authentic, but the most powerful. So, and often what people find they need to do, especially business owners or CEOs, people that own businesses or entrepreneurs, they need to create what I call a parallel brand, which is they need to create a strong business brand and a strong personal or CEO or business owner brand that work in concert with each other. And if you do that well, then, you know, one plus one doesn't equal two. One plus one equals four. So having a strong business brand and, you know, company brand and having a strong CEO or executive brand, that's a really powerful combination. And I think people tend to think of it as you do one or you do the other. But really they work, they work in hand in hand, right? They work in target. Do you have any examples you can share without naming names? Absolutely. You mean positive examples? Yeah, let's do both. Let's do positive. So people are like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. And then go back to something that didn't work. So they go, okay, that makes sense yeah, too. I had, a, I had a client who was, um, actually, he wasn't my client. The bank was my client. This was a mid-sized bank, but, you know, still it was a bank. I mean, you know, it was a mid-sized bank in a, in, um, in a large city. And the bank spent all this money and all this time on ads for the bank and marketing for the bank and creating customer, you know, feedback with the bank and, you know, really working on the brand of the bank and expensive was not cheap. Um, And, but here's what happened. The CEO had a reputation for when somebody would go into his office and would tell him something he didn't like. He had a reputation for screaming at them, yelling at them, and occasionally taking a phone and hurling it at them. So, and everyone in the organization knew it. So when he, when he sent around a video, like the talking head video about where the bank was going and how important service was, people would sit in the audience and roll their eyes. The employees would sit in the audience and roll their eyes like, oh, my God, who would be kidding? This guy is such a jerk. And so because people were afraid to tell him stuff, there was a whole series of things that happened with a bunch of institutional loans that his, his, his people under him didn't tell him, and it ended up costing the bank hundreds of millions of dollars because and when they did the forensic investigating it's because people were afraid to tell him because what did he do he yelled at them and threw phones so you know the reality is that the bank did an amazing job of creating a reputation for the bank itself externally but he had such a poor brand internally that that became a problem and and by the way that is not i wish i could say that that's a uncommon circumstance But, you know, before I was a branding and marketing strategist, I ran a management consulting firm, and I can't tell you how common it was to have a good external reputation, but uh, an executive had a bad internal reputation, and eventually that caught up with them and had an impact on the the external customer base. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Yes. And I'm going to, excuse me, I'm going to assume that he is no longer with that bank. He was, I believe he was fired almost immediately. (laughs) Good. But, you know, the sad thing is, is everyone knew about that for years and years and years. That wasn't like, oh, my goodness, what a shock he does this. Everyone knew about that for years and years and years, yet it still went on. And see, that's exactly where I was going to to interrupt you a minute ago. Sorry about that. I try not to. But I was going to ask you, how could this not be known? 
you know, upstairs, downstairs, in the elevator, wherever. How did he get by with this for so long? And my next question, too, is did other heads roll because people let him get by with it? Shame on them. You know, I don't actually remember if other heads rolled. This was about 10, 15 years ago. Um, but I do know that he was he was unceremoniously fired. Golly. <laughs> but that's a, that's a bad example. But then, you know, on a, an example, a good example was, and this one I can say publicly, I mean, you know, may he rest in peace. He died recently, and very sadly and tragically in a fire. But Tony showed oh, Zappos, the CEO yep. of Zappos. Yeah. Yeah. He was a great example of someone who understood creating a parallel brand. He had enough amazing brands for the company. Zappos had and still has a great reputation and brand as a business. But then he also built up a reputation for himself as the CEO. And what happened was every time you thought about Zappos, you thought about Tony Shea, and every time you thought about Tony Shea, you thought about Zappos. So one plus one equals four. Both of those brands, because they were done well and in parallel, really ended up improving each other. And I think that's really critical. Right. And he had that terrific book that I think we all read. I mean, yeah. poor guy. Yeah. I, it was so sad. Yeah, to, I know. It's tragic. Yeah, that he had died and how he had died. It was like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. But I understand what you're saying about marrying those two things together. And honestly, I had not put that together, that that is what was done. You know, he was very specific to that brand, to that business. And you couldn't talk about one without the other. Oh, you bet. You bet. So that was a great example of a um, great parallel brand where the personal and the business brand comes together. Now, I'm wondering, you know, just because this is the way my, my little brain works, did he do that deliberately or was it an organic Absolutely. thing? No, oh. I think he did it very deliberately. He, he was a, brilliant. He was a smart, smart, smart marketer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah very yeah. brilliant guy. Interesting. Yeah. So it, so for people listening to us saying, well, how do I do that? Are there, well, first of all, go get the book. Go get Tony Shea's book. Um you can find it on Amazon. It's it's out there. Or, but, or go get my book, <laughs> The Brand Mapping <laughs> Strategy, because that was really what will tell you how to do it. I don't think Tony's book tells you how to do it so much as he tells you his story of what he did. And I was going there. I, was, I really was going there, and I was going to say get your book as well. The thing is, you don't know what you don't know. And, I mean, it never right. occurred to me. That I mean, I know that people have their own personal kind of, you know, business program going on. And, you know, on Facebook, they have a business page. On LinkedIn, they have a business page. But on LinkedIn, you will also find that there's, you know, a business. Um, it's different. And I'm following a lot of these people. It's like, okay, I'm the CEO of this, this, and this. But when you go look at their business page, there seems to be a disconnect an awful lot of the time. And I'm wondering oh. why that is. Well, you know, I I deal with this every day where I have people call me and they're CEOs and they go, I need to work on my CEO brand. And I look at their, I look at their LinkedIn and I go, well, we got to start with your LinkedIn because, you know, if if I was an investor or a potential employee or potential customer or a producer or media person or a journalist, and I looked at your LinkedIn, I'd be like, who is this guy or gal? So, yeah, so for sure, people often don't even have the core fundamentals of their personal brand online looking the way they do. They need to in order to be reputable. 
And part of it is just people don't, don't think it matters that much or they haven't gotten around to it or they don't know how to do it or they don't realize the importance of it. But, you know, we've got more eyeballs than ever looking at people online right now. And, you know, if, you, if, you, if, you, if somebody hears about you, the first thing they're going to do is Google you. And depending on how credible you look in that Google search or on your social media, that may or may not be the thing that has them decide to call you. Exactly. What are some of the specific, I just drank a whole bunch of tea and my mouth went dry. (laughs) Sorry. What are some of the very specific things that people should be looking at on their LinkedIn profile? So you're not making that big leap over to the business and people going, "Uh, okay, I'm not following. Yeah. Well, there's a couple of things, and one of the things that people need to be doing on their LinkedIn profile is they really need to pay attention to what we call the above-the-fold part, which is that part at the top. And the part at the top is your photo, the background, right? A lot of people still have that weird generic background, the background, and then what's called the headliner. And the headliner is that space underneath your name where you have an opportunity to really do what I call a brand at a glance and put keywords in say some things you've achieved, you have a chance like in a, you know, in a two sentences to really establish your brand. And most people just waste that real estate space to be frank about it. Well, not only that, but they're also not clear. They haven't updated. I was guilty of this. I looked at my LinkedIn profile and went, I don't even do that kind of work anymore. What the heck? I know. (laughs) And you need to do this. It's so true. It is. And Facebook, too. I mean, a lot of people leaving Facebook can't blame them. I will one day as, you know, as soon as I can. But the thing is, I looked at my Facebook profile last night and went, really, Denise, you're an expert at this? Or you thought you were? I had to spend an hour updating my own bio. None of it was correct. Well, and that is the other thing is people people do it and leave it and then they forget to update it and it needs to be updated and it doesn't get updated and then it's out of date. And so, I mean, I mean, and here's the point of all of this. That's why I talk about this as making time for marketing. Marketing isn't some magical thing that happens. It is actually an activity that takes time and focus and attention and strategy and planning whether it's personal marketing and branding or whether it's business marketing and branding. And people often don't approach it as that kind of a discipline. They think of it more, I mean, obviously big businesses do, but a lot of individual business owners don't think of marketing as something they really, and branding as something they need to be really strategic about. They just kind of throw it at the wall and see what sticks. I call that, by the way, drunk marketing. You know, instead of sober marketing, where people are just like, sure, let's try Facebook ads and see what happens. Let's try, you know, $50,000 worth of PR and see what happens. Not that there's anything wrong with Facebook ads or PR. There's not. Those are both perfectly good things. It's more a matter of that if you're just doing those things without any strategy and without any research behind it, you're just drunk marketing. Oh, that's beautiful. I am going to share that to everybody. I know you're drunk marketing. <laughs> Sit down, Karen. You're yeah, drunk. that's actually the title of the that's actually the title of the eleventh book is No More Drunk Marketing. Oh, I can't wait to read that one. <laughs> Me too. Can't wait for it but to it, be out. I'm telling you, but it really does make sense because 
we get busy. We think, oh, you know, I've got to put up something, but I don't really, I'm just going to put up a quick meme. Well, there's nothing wrong with those. There's nothing wrong with daily wisdom tips. There's nothing wrong with a lot of it. But unless you know who your audience is, how you want to address them, how you want to converse with them, how you want to communicate with them, you can't just slap stuff up. Stuff up. I mean, mm-hmm. stuff no. is going out there, but remember this, it's out there forever. So don't do that. Well, you know, it's like, and you know this from web design, and I know this from, I'm not a web designer, but from, from working with clients to help them put together websites from the point of view of the branding and the writing, is, you know, you also have to think about what that strategy is before you put together a website. I mean, how many people have called me and said, well, we've got a new website, but it's really not quite right. And then I find out they didn't think about it all or go, go through a process at all to think about, well, what is the strategy and where does it fit into the strategy and what colors and what fonts and what messaging are all part of that? And I'm surprised how many, how, how many people don't actually do that. Oh, I'm not. Listen, there are words, you know, <laughs> I do. And listen, I will spend a lot of time consulting with, you know, clients, potential clients before I even open up a real document and say, okay, we're going to be doing this. The reason is, and I'm going to tell you and my audience that most times when people come to a web developer, they don't know what they want. They think they want something yeah. that looks like this website. They've right. got to do this. They want to sell this many widgets. And by the time I'm done with them, they're like, oh, I didn't want that at right. all, did I? No, you didn't. Right. Right. Yeah, where's right. your social no. media? Well, How are you going you, to drive that's traffic? That's what makes you good at your job. Yeah, that's what makes you good at your job. And, you know, and that's what makes me good at my job is I really say to people, wait, because people will call me and go, hi, I want to hire you to do a big PR campaign for me for my CEO brand. And I go, whoa, whoa, whoa. I go, first of all, I never start with a big PR campaign because that's drunk marketing. What's your strategy? What's your positioning? What's this? And by the time they're, I'm finished with them, they're like, oh, I see why I wasted $30,000 last year and didn't get what I wanted. Yeah, because you didn't have a strategy. I mean, again, it's such a simple thing, and it's right. so obvious to me, but it's, it's, it's incredibly missing because one of the other things we have is we have this rush to immediate results. We want like immediate, you know, like one person said to me, if I put out a press release, how many clients can you guarantee me I'll get as a result of the press release? And I, I literally was like looking around like, what? what? I don't even understand that question. I said, it doesn't work like that. So, I mean, I think people have to realize that it, we think everything's this instant result, but it's not. You know, I always say that marketing and branding today, I'm not sure it wasn't always this way, but marketing and branding is a, is a, is a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's no, a it's a long game. Exactly. It's, and it's a, a long, long game. Long. Yeah. You know, and listen, I will the way tell I talk people. about it is it's little fires. You've got to start little fires everywhere in order right. to really get that big blaze. Exactly. And listen, I will tell people this, oh, you know, I just need a website for this, this, and this. And my, my question is, okay, well, first of all, I want to go see where they are, where they've been, what they're not doing, which is more important than anything. And then we talk about an actual website. And honestly, I mean, seriously, if they are not going to have some means or some strategy, and I love that word, to get traffic to their website, to get traffic to their sales pages, their webinars, whatever it is that they're doing, I will tell them, listen, I am not going to build you a pretty boat anchor that just sits there, but I can you know, send you to somebody else who can. I won't take the job. 
No, I won't either because I know that it's ultimately going to fail if that's the case. Oh, absolutely. And I, I just, I don't, and I don't like to fail. <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't either. I'm not so, one that likes to fail. No, it irritates me too, <laughs> and I do it every day. And I oh yeah, and I go stick my hand in the failing, refrigerator. I find and get failing over irritating. It. Exactly. <laughs> I, I mean, really I, it's interesting. I don't find failing irritating if I'm learning something new. But when it comes to working with a client, I don't like to fail. No, I'm right there with you. So basically. And, and, and what I'm taking from this conversation that we're having, and we have a little bit of a, a feedback, so I may be talking over you, and I apologize for that. But what I'm taking from this is if you don't know your audience, you don't know how to serve them. So should that be the first place you go and define who you are, what you bring to the table, and how you can help people? It's not that they have to come by your widget. It's how do you serve I think it's you have to first understand who you are and what you bring to the party and what your contribution is, and then go out and see, okay, who's the audience that would be interested in that, and then look at where do those people consume information, what's mm. important to them, how can I communicate to them. I don't, I'm not a fan of trying to find the audience first. I'm a fan of knowing who you are first and then finding the audience that's the right audience for you. It comes back to what you were saying about no. I never mind hearing no from somebody because if somebody gets a proposal from me and they go, God, I love what you did. It was great, but we decided to move in another direction. I'm actually happy about that because that means they were not the right client for me. Everyone is not my, everyone is not the perfect audience for me, right? Everyone is not the right client for me. So, you know, and that's, you know, so I don't want people that aren't the right client because that ends up in unhappy relationships. And I think a lot of people, especially in small businesses, they think they got to take every client that they can get, and the truth is that that's not really productive or effective. It's not productive and effective from a time point of view, and it's also not productive and effective from a brand point of view. It's much better to know who you are, what you bring to the table, and then go and find the audience that's right for that, and then, and then discover what that audience wants, how they want it, how they consume information. Okay, I like your version better. I'm switching around. <laughs> well, thanks. <laughs> it does make a lot of sense to me because, and I'm you know speaking as a web developer because I will say, well, who's your audience? Oh, everybody. Ah, and I you know head thump my well I you know knock on wood, which is means I'm knocking on the top of my head because that made no sense. Everybody is not your audience, so I always tell them right. So what is it that we're offering? What do you do? Who can you serve? What's going on? Which kind of you know speaks to what you were just saying. And then they figure out that what they really thought they had to have because so-and-so in their industry has this wonderful website. Terrific, but you don't do any of that stuff. So now what? Right. <laughs> and, and then the other piece of it is why would you, why would you want, why would you want to be getting people who are not your right market because what are not your right customer because you know we've all had the customer that's not really the right customer for us and we all know how that story ends it's the 80/20 rule that person is 20% of your business but they're going to take up 80% of your time and it's always a struggle it's always stressful and almost always someone is unhappy in that circumstance Absolutely. And it will come, it'll bite you in the butt. You'll lose money. You'll lose Absolutely. sleep. You'll be irritated. You'll get a bad reputation. Always. Don't do any of those Always. things. Always. 
Always. Okay. Always. So, yeah, and it's, I mean, I've gone down that road, you know, when I first started, never again. So, you say you have a secret to overcoming social media overload. Tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me. Well, it's again, we talked a lot about it, a lot about it, but the secret with with social media overload, there's there's actually it's actually a three-part secret. And one is create an editorial calendar so you're not sitting there trying to figure out, "Oh my god, what am I going to post about this month?" You know, have an editorial calendar that goes out over a year so that all you have to do is look at that editorial calendar and go, "Oh, I see this month it's a time to talk about X, Y, and Z. So that's one thing. Because what stops people and ends up taking a lot of time is them in the panic of trying to figure out what to post, you know, every week. So one is create a social, uh, an editorial calendar that's for a full year, month by month, gives you the four or five things, you know, that you might do. That's number one. Number two is the week before, create your core posts. You know, you have to post at least four to three to five times a week. So you create your, your key posts. And then you get them loaded up in something like Hootsuite or something that automatically pushes them out. Then you can always add other posts, but that way you know you're covered. So instead of trying to get set up every time and do it, you've just done it once and it's ready to roll out for the next week. And then the, the third thing is that if you're someone who spends a lot of time on social media just wandering from place to place, um, then you do have to put some limits on it. Like I'll give you an example. Clubhouse is kind of the hot new pretty girl in town, so to speak. Uh, the, that Clubhouse app, and it's in beta right now, so not everybody's on it, but I'm on it. I know a bunch of people on it. It's growing pretty fast. But there's people I know who they are on Clubhouse all day long. They are in those rooms all day long. And I'm like thinking, how are they getting anything else done? So, you know, so part of it is if you really have a tendency towards getting very, very heavily sucked into social, then you have to put some time limits on it by saying, okay, I'm going to give myself like TV. I'm going to give myself from four to five today to be able to watch, to look at social. So those, that's kind of the three-pronged approach to it. And I agree with you on Clubhouse. I'm in there as well. I have yet to start my own little club or room. But the first couple of days, I you know, I wandered in, I wandered out, and I realized that I was listening to some pretty great conversation, but I also wasn't doing anything else. Right. So that had to stop. So now I, you know, I kind of go in there and I create my own little social, okay, I want, you know, I want to be in this room or this club exactly. at this time. And if I can, I will, but if I can't, it's not critical. Right. But, and again, but, I, yeah. I like Clubhouse. It's not, it's nothing against Clubhouse. I, I like Clubhouse. I'm enjoying it. I'm finding it useful. I'm doing a thing with uh, somebody on, um, on CEO Mindset every other Sunday, but it's like any other social media, it could be an enormous, gigantic time suck if you don't manage it. That's exactly right. And you're on Sunday. I'll have to go look for you because I'm finding that Sunday is, well, Saturday actually is my day to decompress. I don't do anything. I don't even clean the garage. That is my day to just <laughs> sit around and go, Bleh. I might water something, but that's about it. Sunday, I'm, you know, I'm back up and running, so I'll have to definitely go look for you over there. And you know what? I'll send you. I'll send you an invite to the next one that we're doing. Oh, perfect! Because I'm in there. I would love that. So you know, I can carry my phone around with me and listen while I'm doing something else, and that's perfect. Of course, Char- of, course. of course. But I'm talking I'm about talk- people that are, are, you know, it can be distracting to your focus if you're doing it, you know, all the time. Just like it can be distracting to be going down a rabbit hole of Facebook all the time or Twitter all the time. Oh, listen! I had to learn a long time ago that. 
you know, I try to stay out of Facebook. Every once in a while I have to go in and, you know, take care of something. But I'm not in there all day, every day, and I don't have notifications. I don't want to know. I'll go log in at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. I'll take care of everything, and then I'll back right back out of there because it's a time suck. No question. Oh, inevitably. Inevitably. So, okay. yeah, so that's yeah, my social, that's my media, social tip. media tip. Perfect. Karen, we've only got about three more minutes. That went oh really goodness, quickly. Goodness. I know. Where, is there anything else you want the audience to know before I reluctantly let you go? Well, just if people want to ask me a question or find out more about what I do, they can go to KarenLeland.com or SterlingMarketingGroup.com, same site. They can go get the book, The Brand Mapping Strategy, Design, Build, and Accelerate Your Brand in Audio, Kindle, or, or Hard Copy Book at Amazon. And they can get the new book, uh, No-Nonsense Time Management, 50 Tips to Hack Your Time and Get Everything Done, also on Amazon. So, And then they can also listen to the Thought Talk podcast on Apple. So those are all places people can hear me and find out more about what I do. Perfect. Karen, thank you so much for spending time with me and letting me talk over you. I Really, it wasn't deliberate. There is a bit of a time you delay. Didn't. You didn't, Denise. It was fine. You're great. You're such a great interviewer. I, I always appreciate somebody who really knows their stuff. Oh, thank you. You know, I don't really, so it's nice to know that I'm so Oh, no, you do. Come on. <laughs> I don't know. But it has been wonderful speaking with you, and I really I am going to reverse how I I think about, okay, who is my audience? I'm going to find my audience by finding myself better. That was brilliant, and that stuck with me, and I'm definitely going to do that. So thank you for all of the terrific tips and the advice that you shared with our audience, and I hope people will go find you and listen to you. Tell us the name of your podcast again. Thought Talk. Perfect. So before we say goodbye, I would like to remind our audience to be sure to look for us in iTunes. I'm everywhere. I'm like you. I'm in iTunes. I'm in Audible. I'm on Prime, which surprised the heck out of me. And anywhere else you consume your business podcast, just look for your partner in Success Radio and take us along on your success journey. Karen, thank you. Get your voice heard. If you would like to launch your own far-reaching podcast, contact Denise Griffiths at yourofficeontheweb.com and go to the podcast tab. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.